store tour review of schnooks st louis missouri store with our good friends at the AM consumer and retail group i'm your host chris walton and i'm ann mazinga and we are the founders of omni talk the retail media outlet that is all about the companies the technologies and the people that are coming together to shape the future of retail or as we like to say at omni talk the retail media organization that focuses on tomorrow today and not too long ago we visited the schnooks flagship store in st louis and we're absolutely blown away by the experience, weren't we, Ann? That's right, Chris. We called Schnooks the most innovative grocer in the U.S. And as we turned, toured the store with their CIO, Bob Hardister, uh, and his ops team, it cemented that sentiment. I, I absolutely couldn't agree more. And to validate and or and, and or temper our assessment, we have a special treat for all our loyal OmniTalk listeners because we have invited two guests from the AM Consumer and Retail Group to join us to give their expert consultative opinions on the experience, on what Schnooks is doing right, possibly what they're doing wrong, what they could be doing better. So please join us in welcoming David Schneidman and John Clear of the AM Consumer and Retail Group to the show. Thanks very much for having us. Um, it's awesome to be here. And David, how are you? How do you find yourself? Great. It's Friday. Get to hang out with some great people here. Excited to talk uh, retail and technology. We're really excited to have both of you, um, two of our favorite A&M uh, CRGers. And before we get started, I'd love for each of you to give the audience just a quick background of, from each of you, um, why you were handpicked by CRG to discuss the innovation that's coming out of Schnucks today. Um, John, we're going to go to you first. Give us Give us your story. Tell us about yourself. Great question. Yeah, sure, sure. I'm not sure if I was handpicked, but um, hopefully my experience is rather <laughs> here. Um, Let's roll with I, it. So I, I've been with CRG for two years, actually, uh, yesterday. Um, and so before I joined CRG, I spent about 10 years working in grocery retail. So for a company called Lidl, which is a German discount store. So I've got a lot of experience, particularly on the merchandising side in retail, but also some time working in stores. And then since working with AM CRG, I've done kind of a focus on the food and drug and grocery industry. And I think um, I've got a good perspective there on basically where merchandising and store ops meet. So how merchants can make it easier for store ops, how store ops can make it easier for merchants. And uh, hopefully I can provide some of that insight here. Excellent. We have no doubt. After our cashierless checkout session that we had with you, I think like in your first days at AM, and um, <laughs> yeah. you've been you've been a favorite guest um, and I'd like to also now go to our other favorite guest, Dave Schneidman. Uh, Dave, give the audience a little bit of background on you and your role at AM. Yeah, thank you. And so I'm also a senior director here at Alvarez and Marsal's Consumer Retail Group. I've been here almost three years, which is kind of crazy now when I think about it. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm OG now. So that's kind of nice. <laughs> um, my background, uh, similar to John, I actually grew up as an operator, but on the other side, I was in brand management and consumer goods mm -hmm. management. Uh, here at AM, I am a little bit more of a generalist, mostly focusing on, I would say, growth strategy and large-scale transformation. So I'm excited for this because it's not only uh, where retail and innovation and technology meets, but how does it fit within their innovation strategy, their growth strategy? And then 
how do you financially make this work? So taking a different lens than John, but I'm, you know, I'm excited to be the yin to his yang in this conversation, but I feel like we'll be on the same page more than not. <laughs> you think so, huh? I can't wait to find out. I mean, I can't, I mean, I love the blend here. We've got grocery experience. We've got CPG experience talking about the future of grocery and how you do a smart store, right? versus wrong and what's the approach. So this is going to be a ton of fun. And to make it as fun as possible, we first want to outline how we're going to have this segment work. So for those listening or watching, first, we're going to replay the video and the audio we, we recorded during our visit to Schnooks, which was like, what, we were there, like October, November of last year, and something yes. like that, right? Yep. Yep. And, and then this is my favorite part. And then Ann and I are going to pretend that we are the co-CEOs of a regional grocery operation called M&W, which I'm going to tell you is a blatant shout out to Ben Miller, our friend at Shop Talk, for the direct allusion to M&S. So M&W, that's what we are in charge of, Anne. And as CEOs, we want your expert opinions, John and David, after watching the video together of what everyone should take away from the Schnooks experience. So Let's roll the video, Ann. Hello, this is Omnitalk Retail coming to you live from Schnucks in St. Louis. I'm Ann Mazenga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we recently named Schnucks the most innovative grocer in America. And we're going to show you exactly why. There are a number of technologies on display here in this store, all designed to improve the customer and employee experience. There's next generation salad bars, mobile ordering and kiosks that now account for over half of deli orders in the store, and unique single line queuing in every check lane in every Schnucks store. But there are a few technologies we came across during our stop that really stole the show. First up, GS1 barcodes. Schnucks uses GS1 barcodes for any price labels it affixes to products itself. Think meats, seafood, and bakery items. The benefits of GS1 barcodes, unlike traditional barcodes, are that expiration dates are immediately tied to the point of sale system, ensuring that no out-of-date product ever leaves the store. Then there's the electronic shelf labels, which VP of Store Operations Kim Anderson says is, hands down, the most favorable tech among Schnucks team members. If you work in the grocery business or even retail when you have to change prices, and we were a paper tag company, and so it's just, it's some of the worst work. It, it, it is, it's just some of the worst work that you have to do in the store. And them not having to do that or worry about getting that done, or there's this big of a stack this week and the price changes when they show up on Monday and the dread until Wednesday when they have to get them all on the shelf, and they don't, they don't have that anymore. But the real hero of this store experience and what first put Schnucks on the retail technology map, Tally the Robot. If, if I went downstairs and tried to grab that robot and carry it, I wouldn't make it to the front door, right? I mean, that's a part of the team. Every store that is a part of their team, and they, they get excited about it, and the customers love it too. Tally, considered a teammate by Schnucks staff and a treat for customers, roams the aisles of this Schnucks store, autonomously scanning shelves with its six vertical feet of cameras, alerting teammates of everything from out of stocks to pricing compliance. That data then becomes the foundation for the other technologies in the store to build off of, giving Schnucks store ops visibility to product information, location, expiration dates, and other operational efficiencies. The chief information officer and chief supply chain officer, Bob Hardister, will tell you they've never had before. So our stores no longer do outcounts manually. 
uh, they are able to leverage Tally uh, and leverage our AI models in order to know that when they're uh, that their store out conditions are managed by the technologies that we have and they don't have to manually do them anymore. Again, it frees them up to spend time with customers. Not one technology alone, but the total product of all the tech in the store working together alongside Schnucks team members is what makes Schnucks the most innovative grocer in America and, more importantly, one of the most beloved by its customers. This has been OmniTalk Retail, giving you a glimpse into the future. All right, guys, uh, it was great to review that video with you. I have to go first to find out what your thoughts are about the robots. Schnucks was one of the first retailers, first grocers to put them in store chain wide. John, what are your thoughts there for M&W? Should we be considering the robots? Yeah, I mean, I think the robots, like in terms of impact, Tally is obviously a very cool thing to put into store. And I think what's more interesting for me is watching through is how integrated it is into all the different store processes, right? So mm -hmm. in some ways you would think through robots as just being shelf scanning or just being reviewing pricing. But obviously what Tally is doing is looking at all of that in one complete package. And when you, there's there's clearly a CapEx consideration of installing robots across your entire fleet. I mean, I think, one of the most interesting parts of what Schnucks have done is that they've kind of got, gone all in on all of the technology that we see swirling around in the industry and robots and ESLs and everything are always talked about and have been talked about for a few years. So they've obviously kind of taken the bull by the horns and just said, like, let's get after this and let's invest where we need to. And when you walk a grocery store, and, and both of you know from having worked in, in a grocery store, I mean, Dave has always had the, the luxury of sitting in an office somewhere, but the rest of us who've worked <laughs> in a grocery store understand the kind of difficulties of like stocking out and seeing gaps. And it's the worst, one of the worst things customer sees is gaps. And then as a retail leader, you walk in the back of the of the store and you're like that product that should be on the shelf is just sitting back here and we could sell it. And so one of the reasons it's so annoying is because you don't really want people just walking randomly around and around the store to find gaps. So for me, that's like one of the biggest, like great examples of this being a technology to kill a repetitive task that is value added, but also really hard to see the execution on the store floor from. And I think they made a really interesting point in the video when they made the point of it frees up time for people to like frees up associates time to spend time with customers. You're basically prioritizing engagement over task completion in this scenario. And so in every way, it ticks a ton of boxes. But the biggest consideration is going to be whether you have the investment to actually go after it then. John, I got a question for you. So net, net, so net, net, you seem pretty positive on the application of robots. I think that's what I take from what you said. But the second point, the second one, I, I want to make sure that's true. And then the second question I'd have for you, kind of, you kind of talked a little bit about it. You know, where where is the biggest value from the robot? And it's hard to extrapolate that out because there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts here or a lot of systems working together in the smart store design of this store. So one plus one equals three. But if you just look at the robot alone. Where do you think the most value is being extracted for them? Is it the fact that they're not having to do outs or they know where their inventory is in the store? Or do you think it's actually potentially pricing, knowing that you're right priced on the shelf and that therefore you're getting the, the marketing balance that you and the merchants want in your operation each day? Like how, unwrap that question for me, please. Yeah, so I think in it, I kind of have to answer it in a broader sense than just about Schnucks themselves, right? Because Schnucks yeah. have a separate innovation that tackles the pricing execution, which is great. But so I think there's 
the, the benefits to both are very high. So getting not just the marketing impact of having the right price on the shelf and the customer ease, but also, um, you know, as, as we'd all be aware of kind of weights and measures and all that kind of thing of pricing accuracy is extremely important in store. Right. However, I think that's a kind of secondary benefit. The biggest mm. benefit is doing outs. I mean, effectively, when you're reviewing outs on a store floor, the rule of thumb is for every um, one percentage point of out of stocks that you incur, it impacts your sales by 50 basis points. And so if you can improve your end stock rates by just one percent, which across a store like Schnucks is probably not that difficult. And in a big box store, there's always products in the back that should be on the floor finding those products is almost always the problem because they've got high shelves. There's multiple SKUs, like really who knows what's happening. So for me, that's by far the biggest benefit because it's lost inventory of customers who are already walking your store, have a planned purchase and you just don't fulfill that for them. So John, I am going to, I'm going to take Chris's question one step further. Would you invest in the robots alone, or does it have to be part of the more comprehensive system that we're seeing at Schnucks where you've got price labels where like the robot is kind of the main brain of the store. It's just going through and feeding information and data to the rest of the technology. I don't think you need other innovations within the store, but you need to have a very put together process in the back end of how that process is managed. And so, I mean, I, I know I've been on, uh, I've discussed these things before, and so I've used the phrase in the past of technology doesn't fix a system. It actually just kind of, it'll break a broken system faster. And so what this is built on is very good fundamentals of inventory management principles that you know where the, the stock is, but it's basically the final piece of the puzzle to make sure you get it into the right place in the store. Because one of the biggest things that you see most commonly here is the inventory management team do the right thing by getting it out of the DC. Then the, the distribution logistics do the right thing of getting it to the store. And the only indicator you see is, well, it's in the store. So it should sell. But that final piece, it's a little bit like last mile delivery. It's the most difficult part of the chain is getting it from the back room onto the shelf. And if you can solve that, it's like a, it's operational complexity that like people all over the country and all over the world are trying to solve every day. So I think there, you just need a good inventory management basis to get it there, but nothing else in the store is really required to make that part of it work. It just has to know your planograms, know your shelves and give the right kind of feed to the, to the data inputs. And, and that's a great point too, John, because there's important context here, which I want to make sure the listeners know too. When Schnooks rolled these out, they rolled the robots out first. They didn't roll the shelf labels out before the robots. The robots came first and they were still doing all the pricing analysis with the original tags from my understanding uh, in addition. So yeah, and John, your other point that you made too is great too, because you know the other great thing about robots is they're going around the store the same way every day. So they're understanding what's on shelf from Monday morning to Tuesday morning to Wednesday morning at the same exact time, which has the operational benefits. And so, yes, the key is 100%, right? It's understanding what to do with that data and how to operationalize it so your team doesn't need to go scan outs on its own anymore and can take action on the inventory that, to your point, is probably sitting in the back room. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, one of the like least value-added tasks, I mean, we're going to come to an another one, which is way less value-added, but one of the least value-added tasks is walking the store and counting halts. I mean, it's it's uh -huh. because again, what happens a lot of times is that data stops at that point. One person yeah. goes and counts the halt and because it takes a whole shift, they don't do anything with the information. They put it somewhere and then someone else has to go and do some of the information. Right. At least in this scenario, it kind of works together in tandem. The data can be fed while someone is working and filling and almost following behind to actually make it operational. 
And with turnovers, someone is likely doing it differently each day as right. well, where the robot does it the same way each day. That's another key point here. And there's one thing I think that's really interesting, Chris, that you touched on was it's not only about the inventory management and ensuring of high on-shelf availability, it's the insight in terms of when things sell through and the actual mm -hmm. velocity. So if you're following the same path multiple times a day, great point. you actually see what's turning and what's coming off shelf that will have a lot of fundamental help on uh, what consumers want and when and their shopping behaviors, mm -hmm. which then you can leverage for uh, promotions, right. marketing, in-store signage, you know, discounts, because now you know when the actual, um, you know, interest um, happens. Yeah, it allows you to see how high is high, so to speak, which is right. probably data that no one really has unless you're deploying a system like this. All right. I mean, it's like, again, I would come back to like classic grocery problems that are being solved because in, in, in most instances, people review daily sales. So they look back and say, I sold 10 units yesterday and I could probably sell 12, but they don't really look at it and say, I sold my 10 units by noon. And so right. actually I could sell right. 25. And yeah. it's, it's one of the biggest, and if you go to more high velocity areas of the store, which grocery is one of them, but as you get fresher, it's more high velocity. Mm -hmm. Like that's really where the opportunity is that you're in stock all day when people are like want to buy it. And for me, that's like, it's almost always been the missing piece in the day-to-day -day operation of a grocery store because you can't really um, contextualize that whole point of selling throughout the day and what your opportunity really is. Yeah, and it, op it opens it up too for other options, like Dave, you were saying of like even day part pricing or like special promotions <clears> that will come in the future once we start to talk about uh, the next thing on our list about electronic shelf labels, which we also saw at Schnucks. And, and it also aligns your staffing to those peak times mm -hmm. too, right? That's the other thing here. It gives you a better view into where you need your people and when. So, all right, well, and because you said it, let's go to the, let's go to that next. So electronic shelf labels. So for context, for everyone, everyone watching or listening, you know, we've talked a lot about it on our show, but I think I even called it the headline of the year last year, if I'm not mistaken, right, Ann? But Walmart announced that they were going to do electronic shelf labels back in April to 500 stores. They just told us at NRF that they're now planning to roll them out to even more stores. And Schnooks has been using them chain-wide now for, I want to say, at least a year, maybe even going on two. So, David, like, what's your thinking on investing in this tech? Is this something you like? Is this something you would recommend? Do you like that Schnooks is doing this? Where's your head on it? I'm going all in. I'm putting You are? In. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, okay, why? So first and foremost, I understand that there's a CapEx you know, component to this, but let's put that aside. Let's talk first about just the technology. I think it does both sides of a PL. It can help drive sales and it can also reduce costs. And so just talking about reducing costs, if you think about pricing and all the price changes, that is a lot of cost in terms of distribution, the production of that, but then also the labor to actually continue to change, not even in terms of you know, resets and revisions and new products, but just also in pricing and promotions. So there's a huge actual cost component that now that they can unlock and they can have their employees and labor focusing on more important things around customer service and education and actually helping driving sales. So I think from that aspect, it's it, it's a great unlock in terms of cost. Uh, from a growth standpoint, Oh, there's so many things, uh, dynamic pricing and promotions. And so not only in terms of changing that promotional cadence, um, 
on a day or even, you know, a couple hours notice that I think Ann mentioned, but also this is a great opportunity now that they can test and learn. And so you can say, Hey, I think the price is here. And then another price over there in terms of a, you know, a different location. And so now it's a lot more seamless to actually really make those changes in terms of pricing. I've even seen ESLs that have QR codes on there to actually help drive uh, education. There's reviews on there. So not only is it having an impact on promotion, but it's actually having an impact on velocities and sell-through and showing that this is a product for them. It can have gluten-free on there. It could have different tags on there. So there's a lot of different ways that can actually, I would say, interact with a customer that I think is huge. Um, Something that's small but important is quality insurance. There have been multiple times in, in engagements that I've worked on, and I'm sure with John, is you get the wrong price. Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. Big deal. You know? Right. And so now from a scaled aspect, boom, on a on a flip of a coin, you can just change that price. And the big thing overall without it with all that is scale. It's very easy in an automated way to now make changes based on strategic changes or also based on in-store behavior and shopping uh, behavior changes, uh, just like we were talking around inventory management. So, you know, I'm, I'm all in. I think there is a CapEx component to this, which is, you know, what I've seen been a big barrier to scale and really implement. But I think as it becomes clearer and more democratized, um, I, I see more and more uh, retailers doubling down on this. David, I want to I want to push you a little bit on this because actually this funny thing happened to me this morning. I actually heard that one of the misgivings people have about electronic shelf labels, and you're the mark of, of the four of us. You're you're the the marketer uh, on this video, you know, in a lot of ways, you and Ann. And so I'm curious, like, when you think about the promotional impact of an ESL. Like one of the things I've heard is that they're not as promotionally enticing. Um, what, where's your head on that question particularly? And do you think the benefits outweigh any drawbacks from the promotional effectiveness of a tag itself? Yeah, it might not be as enticing or as um, obvious, but I also think that helps uh, customer experience. Uh, I think actually it's, it's a perfect moment. I, I know we, we talked about it before, just what it looks like in pharmacy and drug with just all the tags sticking out. And that also isn't a good experience also. So I, I don't think, I don't see it as an issue putting my consumer hat on, but as a marketer, I, it might actually be better because it's clean shelf to some degree. Got it. It's a blank canvas, so to speak, with which to create new marketing too. Correct. Yeah. John, I'm I'm curious from your perspective too, you know, just layering onto what Dave was just saying, are you feeling like now with electronic shelf labels doing more, working harder, you know, doing things like pick to light, which we didn't cover either that they're uh, facilitating in store, but also freeing up the associates again from, you know, three days worth three people for three days, you know, worth of price changes in a store, if it's even happening um, now down to, you know, one person kind of going through and reading a report from a tally like robot, or just kind of going through and manually checking some of the, the, um, the items that might've shown up. Are you feeling like with them working harder that that CapEx investment that David's talking about might be justified now versus, you know, a couple of years ago when it was just doing price label changes? 
Yeah, I mean, I think from my perspective, it's uh, it's one of those things that I've also talked about before that like a no brainer. Like it's really even from a even from a if if the shelf labels themselves weren't doing more than they were doing before, I still struggle to see why people were so reluctant about this. And the fact, like honestly, Walmart have made the call not a historically like a, sorry a more historically frugal company than a lot of others. Like right. the fact that they're making this decision and other people are now lagging behind them in innovation in across their fleet for me shows that there is a huge return on this. And so to your point on, yes, it can do more and the, you put in the technology now and you'll actually be able to build on it. Right. But the old days of, I think I used the term before of like a printing press in stores just makes no sense. It's not good for ESG goals. It's not good for labor shortages. And I do think coming back to Chris's point about them being less promotional friendly. Honestly, I would be kind of direct on that point. If yeah. you need, if you your promotion needs a tag to sell it, and you're worried that that promotion is not going to work because you don't have the right tag, you've got the wrong promotion. A promotion should be in the right place at the right price, and you don't need some fancy tag to jazz it up. The customer should be excited by it in and of itself. And I think we all kind of need to move past these. There's some excuses that are coming into it now. It's absolutely clear. You don't have enough staff. You're wasting a lot of money. Put them on the shelf. Yeah. All right, John. So I got to ask you then, because this is great. I love this conversation. So so I'm at NRF and I'm talking to someone very familiar with this at a top 10 US retailer. And they told me, uh, he or she, I won't say who, uh, they told me that they can't get the math to pencil on ESLs. If that's the case, what are they missing? Like, what is driving people to think that inside these organizations if you guys both are so high on them as an idea, as are Ann and I too? I mean, what I would say is it's it depends on how you do the math, right? And I know that's right. a very wishy-washy uh, wishy-washy answer, but if you only take labor savings into account or you only take some raw material cost savings into account, yeah, I can see that it might net out like kind of even, right? But there also has to be a forward-looking view on this whole scenario, right? So as of January 1st, I don't know how many states last year, it was 20 plus states had increases in minimum wages, right? That's only going to continue pace. So labor is not getting cheaper. It's also getting scared in the grocery industry. So from a forward-looking perspective, your math, the math is only going to get closer and closer. And so the other point I think that, and that we've touched on a bit here and earlier and i kind of might let him come back in on the marketing side of it in terms of like dynamic pricing there is definitely a growth perspective that has to be built into this equation it's not just i'm going to have less labor it's also i'm going to have a more effective in-store experience i have something Dave? with that too but i think it's uh i know we are going to be talking about gs1 barcodes eventually and so i don't want to uh give everything away but i think there's a component there as well when you put all this together that's the thing, right? You have to be thinking about this holistically Correct. as well. The other point about this too, which you guys didn't bring up, which I think is important too, there's a lag time when you do prices the old way, right? You have to run the print job. You have to assign the labor to put this, the prices up. So net, net, you're probably seven to 10 days behind anyone that's pricing with electronic shelf labels and or the online space. John, it seems like I got you buzzed on that one. What yeah, do you think? Sorry, yeah, 100%. You can tell where my head is at in terms of store ops because- That's a PTSD. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the one for me that, and I think the timing is huge that you mentioned that, Chris, if you think about commodity prices, like milk and eggs. Right. And, and those are the ones that are like, they should be changed 
weekly minimum, sometimes even more frequently, depending on what's happening in the markets. And so if you're behind on that, you lose both on margin, right? Because it takes a while for you to put it together. Mm -hmm. And you're also losing in terms of the thing about eggs is customers react on a dime to egg prices. Right, right. We've had a, I've had a recent engagement where we reduced egg prices and that sales doubled in 24 hours. So they were like immediate. And so if you're missing that opportunity against your competitors to prove that pricing point, that's another huge element here that should, should be taken into account. And to kind of round out that final price around a point around egg and eggs and milk, if you look at somebody who's really leaning in here, and again, not usually the biggest investment is Aldi. And it kind of goes under the radar, but Aldi are putting it in every new store. They already have it almost Europe wide, and right. they're retrofitting it across the fleet in the US, which is 2,200 plus stores. In some ways, that's almost a bigger story than Walmart going on through it. And the other point that we'll get on to the GS1 barcodes is like, if you're going to test these, what I'm hearing from you, John, is you have to test them in the right place. Like, especially if you're a big operation, you don't want to just test them in the wrong subset of your product categories on your floor. Yeah, exactly. If you test them in like cereal, that doesn't change very often. You don't really see a big, huge return on investment. But if you test them in more of the fresh areas, it's going to be a big difference. Yeah. So smart. Wow. All right. Well, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, GS1 barcodes and smart sense technology. Um, I want to go back to you, Dave. Where do these technologies fall on your list of priorities for grocery retailers like Chris and I at M&W Foods? So, so I think it's high having uh, supply chain transparency yeah. and it will help with inventory management. Do I think it's a game changer in the same way that is ESLs and, uh, and robots? No, but what I think is really interesting here is when you put it all together, the impact that it has. And so the example that I wanted to give, if you think about GS1 barcodes, it can actually help identify what the expiration date is. Now, what if you attach that to ESLs? Right. And now there's actually a, a solution that I know that I've heard of, it's called Wasteless. And it's dynamic pricing based on expiration dates. So yep. John was talking about milk. He was talking about eggs. We're talking about meat. What happens if we are a day or two days away from expiration? So now all of a sudden dynamic pricing, we do more promotions. We drive that velocity and sell through. What happens if that doesn't exist? Now all of a sudden someone's gonna buy uh, an expired meat, they're gonna have a bad experience, they're gonna throw it away, or what? The, what's the retailer gonna do? We're gonna toss it. Right. So now instead of actually making money and making margin on it, we're actually gonna make no money on it and actually pay for it to be uh, destructed. So I think when you put in GS1 barcodes with this, larger technology umbrella, I think it actually has a huge, huge, huge impact beyond just inventory management and supply chain transparency. Now you're actually driving sales and mitigating costs. So Dave, in, in terms of that, then is the, I feel like what you just said, the necessary condition to do what you're talking about is the computer vision in the robot. Like without that, what you just said doesn't happen, right? True. It, it, it is true because great, you have this transparency, but what are you going to do with this data? You have, you have no mechanism to pull it. And so it's more waiting. It's more passive. It's, it's important to have, but you need some sort of component to unlock the capabilities. Yeah. I think the, the, the final thing too, is I think there's a big element of customer appreciation and loyalty that comes into the play here too. One, 
there's nothing worse than bringing home expired food. And especially when it's some of these items, meat may be one thing that will drive people back to the store to come in and talk to or bring it in for a refund, but a yogurt or something like you just end up leaving a really bad taste in the mouth pun intended of the, uh, of the consumer versus, you know, stopping them, which Schnooks told us happens right at the checkout. Like it will not let that piece of meat or those yogurts, like get out the door. It stops them right then and there and says, no, this is expired. Or, you know what you're saying too, Dave, about the advantage of like, we'll give you a deal on this. Like, let's take it, let's reduce waste. Let's like, dilute our, our carbon footprint here and the things that we're throwing away and let's make it a great affordable experience for all of our customers and one worth coming back for. Yeah, I definitely think there's something around which, which these GS1 barcodes are focusing on is around freshness. And if you go to a grocery store and you go into fresh, Mm. you'll also see oftentimes the lettuce in the back is pulled and taken because they know, you know, they follow the appropriate inventory management principles of, you know, if it's going to be expired, Earlier, you put it out in the front. Yep. And so this is a huge component to that. But I think there's an extra piece beyond just uh, giving the customer a good experience is how do you leverage it to actually not be a, to, to be a incremental financial impact. And I think yes. that's where when you put these together, it's it, it could be huge. Wasn't this a little bit of the Willie Sutton rule too, where you go where the money is? I mean, John, from your experience too in grocery, like, the the amount of food you're throwing away in the perishables area is a significant drain on your margin. So any impact you have there makes a big difference. Is that right? Yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, um, in a lot of grocery stores, you shrink from fresh is like 50, 60, 70% of their, of their overall shrink across the store. So it's, it's the area that you would need to target. I would probably be, uh, slightly more negative on this one than maybe mm. than maybe Dave is mm. being, but I think I'm going to build on some of his points. And what I mean by that is I actually don't massively see the benefit without the additional add-ons that we've talked about. And by right. that, I mean, I, yep. but I mean, like the problem that you've identified on, like of a customer bringing home already expired product, like without sounding too trite, how much of a real problem is that? Like it happens. Yeah. How often does it really happen? Like, Dollar and cents wise too. What's mm-hmm. the impact there? Yeah. yeah it's and, not big. And, and also, if you're somebody like Schnucks who has really good brand equity, that one-off experience probably won't turn you off forever from going back. You're just going to be like, hey, it was a bad experience, but I've shopped there for 30 years, so it's not a big deal, right? So I think if it's just a stopping at the checkout from that happening, I'm a bit like, so what? However, if you put on the points that Dave has made about now yeah. you're proactively managing your expiry dates and creating an opportunity, or sorry, a, a kind of a, a win from an opportunity, then I think that's a, a very interesting proposal. So it needs to be kind of integrated into all the other things that they're doing by itself. I think it's just passive data to Dave's point. Yeah. Great so it's gotta be part of the greater system. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, all right. So the last thing we want to talk about was something that was subtly showcased in the video. And that is the mobile ordering at the deli via a kiosk or the mobile phone. Um, And then also the single line queuing at checkout, which is unique to a grocery operation for the most part. You don't see that very often. So, And then the other thing that isn't in the video at all, but that Schnooks has publicly said, is that they're going to be piloting the caper cart here in the not so distant future. Although I am anxiously waiting to see when that actually is and when it debuts. But so... As we think about all of those things here, what considerations should we factor into our decision-making at M&W Grocers 
when it comes to investments in getting people through the lines more quickly? Yeah. So I think that this whole line topic for me is another one we talked to Dave used the word earlier, PTSD about, um, about tickets and pricing and everything in store. For me, this is another area that when you think about it from now, let's switch it to the consumer lens <clears throat> rather than the in-store kind of operation lens. It is the biggest pet peeve that you hear apart from like inconvenient location, long lines are, is the most common feedback you hear about why someone won't shop in a store. And so whatever options can be put in place to reduce that friction for me are a positive every single time, because I don't know if you've ever heard a consumer say, Hey, that thing that made me get through the store quicker, I really hated it. Like it just doesn't really happen that often. And so the two options for me, the, the, the two things to touch on here, Delhi, like absolutely. Again, I would say no brainer. It's a little bit like an old school method of like pulling a ticket, right? You pull a ticket, right. they you. it's just being brought into the modern age also has multiple use cases, right? You can use it for floral, you can use it for fresh bakery, you can use it right the way across the store to make it more self-serve. And in a number of cases, people don't really need the interaction with the person behind the counter. They literally just want their packet of sliced ham. They don't need anything else. So for me, that that's very clear and also kind of easy to implement in a lot of places. The single line uh, queuing for me is actually really interesting because it feels not innovative, but to your point, Chris, it's not that common to see it in grocery. So the question right. is, why is it not that common to see in grocery? Like why are Schnucks doing something that's different? Great and question. for me, that probably comes back to a little bit of grocery conservatism. It's always been done a certain way. So we're all going to continue to do it this way. And there is a very clear, like the, the, car, the correlation I will put here is Trader Joe's. When you're at Trader Joe's, it's a single line. And I would say that universally people will say they get through a checkout in Trader Joe's quickly. That's if true. That's a good point. Every single time. If you're in the Trader Joe's in like Manhattan, which is I think the most exciting one, because the lines go all the way to the back of that store. Right. You move through it in like five or 10 minutes and they're super fast. So you're constantly having this feeling of motion. I don't think you actually get through the lines faster. But because you're constantly moving, there's a psychological impact there that people actually are, are, are kind of reducing friction. The other point here, and Trader Joe's do an awesome job of it. And from the video I saw, Schnucks, they're doing good. You also bring everybody past the exact same set of products. And yep. so now you know that you have a planogram that you can put mm. a high margin, high impulse, expandable consumable items. Whereas in a traditional grocery store, it's like, what do I put on, on checkout one? What do I put on right. checkout four? How do I figure it all out? Well, this way you just put all the good stuff in one row and you get yeah. the Sephora stuff. effect of the merchant. He loves yeah. that. Oh 100%. my God. Yeah. yeah. David, anything you'd add here? I, I, uh, I agree with John. Um, I think there is an aspect of a single line queue that is optimized. Now, when you look at it from the collective group, I, I believe it is faster. I think individually, you know, if you get lucky and go to a smaller line, or if there's, you know, someone ahead of you has less product, then obviously you you lucked out. I do think there is an impact. There there is retailers that are doing that. There are retailers that are doing that. If you look at Target, just when they have their actually cashierless checkout, it is all single queue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're so right. What is interesting is that most actual retailers have a level of single queue. It's just mm -hmm. not with traditional checkout. All of their, you know, cashierless checkout, you don't see those six and someone's behind all six. There's a queue and then they go to the open and free one. So I do think it's possible. I think they are doing it. They're just not realizing it. And if they, I think there is an aspect of democratizing that across the entire um, 
store, which would be helpful. I also think the bigger issue is just the lack of registers that are open, but that's not for today's conversation. Right, right. What? Because we can't let it go. What about the smart carts? Like, where, where's your, where's? Your, I mean, we didn't see it in the video, but they've actively talked about it. You know, there's the whole now, next, future elements of of smart store design. If you're a grocer like us at M and W, how should we be evaluating smart carts, John? That sounds like that's one's right up your alley, or Dave, whichever one of you guys wants to take it first. I mean, interesting to see if we disagree on this one. I feel like we've been very agreeable so far, which is not, <laughs> which is not you common have. for me and Dave. Um, I, like, what are you talking about? We're best friends, man. <laughs> uh, no, that's true. The the smart cards for me, so I, I'm i all in on cashierless checkout in general, right? I think it's mm -hmm. like, it's it's an easy way. Again, it's like one of those ones that if there was no CapEx barrier, it's like, obviously we should do this, right? So right. The, the big challenge here is how much you're going to pay for it. Um, I think it's interesting they've chosen the caper card because that's a, it's a move for Instacart into kind of, you know, it has to be in support of Instacart's overall um, business proposition is that they do more than just gig work. So that it has to work for Instacart, I think. And it's a little risky from Schnucks to go after because there's not a huge use case so far. But I think from a customer perspective, it is, again, solving the problem of friction. So I think when you look through the whole, what, what Schnucks are doing through the whole chain is they've taken it from the perspective of what costs us the most money and what's annoying to do in store. And then what's actually helpful for a customer to help them get through the store quicker. And some form of cashierless technology is an extension of that frictionless. And it, it kind of to as i've said before as well to you guys like for me it's the question of when and not if and mm -hmm. what form that takes is going to vary by, yeah. by kind of store so i think it's a natural extension of what they're already doing dave what about the marketing side of the smart card too i mean do you have any thoughts on that i really like it before we even get to that i agree with john i think it's a natural transition to integrate smart cards with with instacart it's a nice combination mm. So I think there's a few things with smart cards. First, there's just increased foot traffic. I think now customers want to see what's technologically advanced. And so just bringing in more local customers to experience mm. what the future is, I think I wouldn't be surprised if there's increased traffic. I know that's not the focus, but I, I think there's mm. something there. Now, I do know with these smart cards, they will be uh, showing and advertising their circulars. And so what will be really, uh, what's really cool is you're actually showing your full circulars, your promotions, what types of marketing, product, what products are on uh, promotion. So I really like that there. I'm not sure how you would necessarily use the data. I'm thinking through it to tie back to a specific customer. I know you could mm -hmm. pot potentially tie back to a rewards card if they have one, a credit card data as well, I would actually, it would be nice to see now cross purchase. So if you buy this product, all of a sudden you buy that product. Mm -hmm. And again, I think it goes back to the first thing John said is um, around uh, robots and inventory management. If it's not all connected to your right technology stack, it's irrelevant. Yeah. Because what would be really cool is you are going to get data. You are going to get the rewards account, but what are you going to use? What are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of insights there that can have that you can leverage to drive more merchandise, drive more product, drive more um, uh, consumers to your store. But ultimately, again, if this data is not connected to the right team and into your technology stack, it is it's not helpful. Right. All right, guys.
we're going to close this up. And I want to know of all the things we talked about today, what is the one innovation from Schnucks that you would advise every retailer right now who's listening to this segment? What's one thing that you think that they should lean in on and now? I mean, mine is electronic shelf labels. Um, Interesting. Stealing my thunder. Wow. See, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm there. Interesting. Say why, why it's, it's just, maybe I'm too biased based on my own experience of hanging price cards in stores and then also managing mm-hmm. people who are hanging price cards in stores, mm-hmm. but it is such a massive time drain and yeah. it, it becomes this. So a time drain first, which is like your most expensive resource in a, in a grocery store. It's, it's finite. It's, it's, it's hard to get good quality time, right? This is the other thing that people I think think of all time as equal in a grocery store, but actually sometimes the people that you need to have hang your tags are your highest performing employees that should be doing other stuff. So their time is worth more than just the cost you're putting into that. Because if you give it to somebody who's kind of had high turnover new to the company, they're probably going to do it wrong and it has to get checked later. So for me, they just benefits through the the whole in-store experience, like in-store operating model are so easy are so obvious and the second part of it is what we touched on a little bit earlier which is the the idea of dynamic pricing and i'm i'm very close to commodity pricing in general and the dangers that that presents to a store from multiple kind of areas and multiple angles so it's just one of those ones for me that's been swirling for 10 years now of everyone kind of saying it's a good idea we have a lot of people doing it like it's, it, it, we are surely crossing the threshold to it just becoming a standard that should happen. Right. Dave, he stole your thunder, but are you going to say the same thing or do you have any additions or nuance that you might want to add to John's response? No, I think it's great. I know John mentioned the commodity pricing a few times. I'll even focus more on the promotional aspect. It's promotions are a great trial driving lever. Mm-hmm. But most promotions, given how difficult they are to implement, they're on for a week or two weeks, which could actually create pantry loading that's unnecessary, or now you're just you know, decreasing the price that a customer would normally pay for. So if you actually can have a, a more unique and promotional cadence based on time of day or a specific day, you can actually even test and learn what's actually driving the highest ROI. So you know, snacking is a really good example. And um. Uh, so that would be a place where you try promotion one day. What works is another day. So you can have that dynamic promotion to see what's actually driving velocity. So I think there's a lot of unlocks with ESLs that that you really can't touch with, you know, I would say historical pricing uh, structures. That's a great point too. That's something I never thought about as well. Like to actually figure out how these work, you can do more promotions more often. And so if you're going to test them, you actually have to test the ability to do that into your testing and your piloting program as well. So, but the, the point, the one thing I'm struggling with though, is, and you both have said this is the foundational linchpin of the smart store itself is actually the computer vision. That's the capability that pulls it all together. And so while I potentially agree like ESLs could on their own standalone be a place that has tremendous benefits. Is it kind of one, a one B or, you know, how do you, how, how do we think about that? Cause if we've said one is a necessary condition, why does your brain, why do you guys still think ESLs, John? Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I, I wasn't clear enough earlier in that. 
I think the computer vision is a foundational part of a lot of other things, right? So of, of inventory management, of, of on-shelf availability, all that kind of stuff. I think you need that to make that work. That's actually one of the reasons why I'm even more focused on the ESLs work of, in and of themselves. On their own. You can yep. put them in any environment and right. there's a benefit. And whereas I think a lot of the other stuff is like, well, I do the robot, but I probably also need to update my backend tech a bit more. And I do the robot, mm. but I probably also need to, mm. like, there is some more complexity with that of making sure that everything works. But like ESLs, everybody currently has a data management system for creating price cards. And everybody already has a system for getting them to stores and putting them on shelves. So therefore, if you make that automated and electronic, it should automatically make it better. And I think to kind of expand on Dave's point, like what he talked about, it like of AB testing and different testing in different markets also lends itself to regional pricing. Regional mm -hmm. pricing is one of the most difficult things for retailers to pull off because mm -hmm. how often have you been in a store and you open up the mailbag and you're like, well, these price tickets aren't for me. They're for right. the store that's actually right. down the street. That's got a different pricing. Mm -hmm. And then you got to trade and swap. So it just simplifies so many things. Print them yourself. Yeah. Itself. That, that's kind of our whole focus is to automate as much as possible. So why, you know, this is right at our fingertips, but just because most, I would say companies are taking a short-term financial look at this and not a, you know, five plus year, 10 year horizon, naturally people are skeptical. For the most part, we have lauded schnooks in this video. Uh, although I am curious to hear, to see what they think about that last point, if they would go robots or ESLs, I can't wait to hear their feedback on that one. I'm not sure which way they would go either. I have an idea though, but, uh, all right. So let's close with this. Let's get you guys out of here on this question, which is, did you see anything though, in the video review, uh, that you think could be improved upon? Uh, is there any things you'd like to see potentially even see schnooks sunset in the future? Where does your head come down on that? David, did you see anything that stuck out to you? No, I, I think John's not a fan of GS1s, but when it fits within everything else, I think he's okay with it. So there wasn't necessarily things any sunsetting. Um, what I didn't see, though, and I've seen rolled out, especially in drug or something like cooler screens, and I mm. didn't see anything around that. So that's another piece to actually add. I think that's really neat, unique in terms of um, inventory management also. Uh, same thing with ESLs. Uh, driving marketing as well. And now all of a sudden you're actually having a a uh, a retailer media network that's actually making you money while also driving sell-through. So I think that was one thing I was, um, when we talked about initially, I was kind of uh, intrigued to see if they had it and they didn't. So I think there's room for even more technology there. Hmm. I think um, the the cues, the single queue, I'm a fan of. And so I think if there's anything that they would probably sunset, it would be that because it might not have the same value. But I again, I think everything they're doing makes sense and is thinking more towards the future. Interesting. Yeah, that possibly helps explain why they're going after the smart cards too, to get the right. retail media play through the card. Is that what you're going to say? I'm sorry. I well, I was just going to say too, I think that the, think the yeah. smart card you know, yeah. they have to create a separate checkout lane for that experience entirely. The same yeah. thing is true of self-checkout. So like that, that could result in changes to that single line queuing just operationally to make it yeah. all work. Didn't even think about that. Yeah. At least in theory, at least how we're conceptualizing it. Maybe they can come up with a do new way to do it too. And maybe that's why they've been thinking through that as they try to roll this out. But um, John, anything you would 
change or add to the experience. I like how David added something there. It was cool. Like the focus on retail media and bringing that more to life is interesting. Yeah, I think the the, the biggest, most obvious thing, and, and I'm sure they're probably already thinking about it, is a retail media network because they have – that was actually also where my – my head went on the single line checkout too. Like if you have every customer going through a single area, think about how valuable that real estate becomes from a marketing and advertising perspective too. Right. So I do think that they can fund some of these investments by leading in a bit more there. Um, I There was nothing that I would have said that was very obvious that didn't drive a lot of benefit. It seems that they're quite thoughtful in what they're trying to put in there. Um, to Dave's point, the GS1s for me, I think work really well in this environment of Schnucks. So I wouldn't be advising Schnucks to take them out because I think it they've got the stack that makes sense. But if I was advising anyone else, like you guys, for example, it's not where I would start. I would mm -hmm. start elsewhere and that's kind of a cherry on top to also further improve your, your processes. Um, but yeah, I think kind of good news is that Dave and I are fairly in agreement in terms of it looks like a very good experience and there's only some additional things that you would add to probably probably monetize things a little bit better, actually. Yeah, we might have to just go start the store now because we've had such excellent advice from both of you, John and Dave. I appreciate it so much. If people found this conversation interesting and want to reach out to you to pick your brain even more, they need help making decisions about what they should invest in now versus what they might hold off to a little bit later. What's the best place for them to do that, Dave? Can you can you give us a, a lifeline? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, I'll give you John's home number. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> go. Uh, we have a dedicated website. It's uh, alvarezmarsal-crg.com. So we have a, an about us where you can reach out. If you want to reach out to John or I, LinkedIn's best, uh, John Clear, David Schneiman, we'd love to talk to you. We're very friendly people. I absolutely love this conversation. I Like I said before, I think it was just so insightful, so great. And it's why we love having you guys on because you got the operator experience. You can take everyone, all our listeners through the store from a consultative perspective and add a unique point of view to it that probably wouldn't find anywhere else. So thank you to both of you for sitting down with us today. David Schneidman again, John Clear of the AM Consumer and Retail Group. And as always, to everyone listening, be careful out there. <laughs> 